Today we have Paul Montalongo on the show. Is your real estate ready for the next recession? Investing in real estate can be especially profitable during recessions. Paul Montalongo has unlocked the secret to preparing and profiting from recessions. He plans to double his multifamily unit count in 2023 by taking advantage of key opportunities available when markets are struggling. In this episode, you will learn how mindset impacts how you look at recessions, business, and life, and also three opportunities that Paul sees for 2023. Listen and learn. Do you want to learn how to save taxes and build wealth with real estate? For a limited time, I'm giving away my five-step process for passively investing in real estate and my comprehensive email course teaching you how to invest in multifamily syndications. Simply go to https colon backslash backslash www.dbprivateequity.com backslash passive income. Yes, you do have to include the entire URL, including the www. Now, on to the intro. Welcome to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show. Each week, you will learn how to grow your wealth through real estate investing, be introduced to the players that are getting it done, and learn how you can get involved. And now, here's your host, Darren Batchelder. A little background on Paul Montalongo before we start the show. Paul lives in the San Antonio area. He's an owner in eight multifamily properties with over 1,000 units. He's been through recessions before, and he knows how to prepare and profit during these challenging times. Now, onto the show. Hello, everyone. Today, we have a very special guest. We've got Paul Montalongo. Paul, appreciate you coming on the show. Hi, glad to be here, Darren. Thanks for the invitation. Absolutely. So a little bit on how we know each other. We're, I was introduced to Paul from a fellow uh, person in my multifamily group, uh, Brent Ritchie. And Brent uh, was on the podcast episode number 82. And, and he and Paul um, are part of a mastermind together. And so, um, you know, Brent had, had recommended that the two of us should touch base. And we both have podcasts. And, and we actually met uh, when he came up to Dallas. And so I'm um, interested to, to learn more about what he's got going on and, and have you guys learn from his experience. So with that, Paul, can you share with the listeners how many properties and how many units you're invested in? Sure. Glad to. Uh, first of all, I'm from San Antonio, Texas, born and raised here. Although I moved away for about a dozen years to different places, Las Vegas, North Carolina, so forth. But I moved back three years ago to San Antonio and this is now my home and so when I started investing in 2015. At this moment, I'm at 1,065 doors. That represents uh, eight properties plus a portfolio of uh, cash-flowing uh, residences. You know, we've just just built it steadily and methodically and tried to increase. And what I've discovered is that with the passing years, a little bit more momentum each year. And so uh, in 2023, I think we'll with the momentum that we have, we'll likely add over a thousand doors 
to our Holy portfolio. Cow. So basically you're going to double in 2023. I think it's very possible. I think it's very possible, but very doable also. And I'm sure we'll talk about this more later, but I think 2023 will provide opportunity for investors like us that we've not seen in recent years. And uh, I like the prospects of that a lot. Yeah. So there's a lot, you know, talk about that. So there's a lot of people that are afraid, you know, that are fearful, that are you know, we've got a recession coming, we've got an inverted yield curve, we've got rising interest rates, we've got inflation. So all these worries. And so some people um, are like, look, I'm either on the sidelines or, you know, maybe they're a passive investor and they're like, I'm going to just hold my cash, you know, and and not invest at this time because it's, it's a scary time and I don't know what's going to happen. So with that, you know, I also have people like yourself that say, you know, hey, I'm looking forward to the opportunity. So what does that opportunity look like in your mind? Yeah, so this for me is a big formula. And so I've been investing since I was 17 years old. My first property I bought in 1977. And uh, I sold it in 1979. It was a piece of residential dirt. (laughs) But in my lifetime, if, if, if we are in fact in or about to approach a recession, and, and I have a whole line of thought on that, you want, if you want, but if in fact we are, okay, then this would be number four for me in my lifetime. The fourth so, recession. The fourth one and the fourth recession. And so I don't mind saying the first one, I was a young man. I didn't know the difference. And I was a victim of the first recession, uh, Oil prices were high. Interest rates were high. I remember mortgage rates were 17, 18, 19%. And I was like, that was, it was unheard. So anyway, I was a victim of that. I let it affect me. I didn't know what I didn't know. But recession number two, three, and now four, again, air quotes, uh, I made a decision. I made a choice that I was not going to be a victim of any kind of outward economic situation. Because if you look at the, the track record of successful people through the course of history, many of them have maximized bad times, what most people consider to be bad times. And so it just, it's a mindset, I believe. And I believe that, that in every one of these time periods, there's opportunity. So our specialty is real estate. I don't do, I don't do anything else but real estate. So if once you know real estate and you know how to buy it and you know where the value is and you know where the opportunity is and you know where the good deals are, you're going to, you know, you're going to find out where those opportunities are. So 2008, the great depression or recession or uh, deression or whatever it was, whatever you want to call it, right? <laughs> whatever you want to call it. You could tell I don't give a lot of power to it, right? The it was, I made more money in that time frame than I had ever made in my life. But I sought opportunity, and that was in foreclosures, pre-foreclosures, list pendants, taking over properties, and in certain areas of the country, specifically the West Coast. And, you know, I moved to Las Vegas to invest in the Vegas and the California properties out there because that's where the opportunity was. So, and in fact, it was a hypermarket, like low prices, low entry point, 
but people still would pay a lot of money for properties. They didn't pay the money that they're paying now, but they paid a lot of money uh, for properties. So it was, you know, it was easier to sell those. So the whole point being that in any economic situation, we get to decide, I get to decide if I'm going to participate in what the, you know, with the, with, with what the herd mentality is. And I choose not to participate in the herd mentality when it comes to recession. I'd like to build my own economy. Now, having said that, Darren, having said that, you know, uh, I, I like to, st- I like to keep my wits about me and, and, remain humble in the fact that it's going to require more work. It's going to require more discernment on properties. It's going to require more negotiation to get to, to where we are. But we are already seeing, like in two properties that I'm buying right now, I've already, the appraisals came in. One of them came in at 11% above what I'm paying, and the other one came in at 9% about, over what I'm paying. And I had already uh, negotiated... 10% below market. So that's a net of what? 19 and 20% below market at this time last year. Will it go down a little bit more? Probably, probably. But now I offset that with good financing. And so there's your formula. I, I told some folks the other day, I said, it feels old school to me now. And if you look at where we were in this in this uh, real estate environment a year, a year and a half, certainly two to three years ago, over the past three years, it's been a very, very strong seller's market. Rightfully so. I sold in a very strong seller's market. But the conversation was different with a seller or a seller's agent. Conversation back then was, um, hey, listen, Paul, seller wants $15 million for his property. And I would say, okay, but I'm looking at it and it looks like it's worth 13 million. And the response back to me was, okay, thank you. Bye. There was no, there was no dialogue and earnest monies, earnest money deposits were high and they were non-refundable on day one. So a lot of, you know, when you're in a seller's market, they have a lot of leverage. So we've seen that pendulum. We've seen that balance, more balance out here in the, in the last I would say, well, since July, um, I would say, so that's what, the last five months or so? Uh, we've seen that balance out, maybe maybe even longer than that, early summer, June. Uh, we've seen it balance out. Now, it's still not, in my opinion, a buyer's market. I don't think right. it's 100% buyer's market, but there's more balance here. And how do we know? I remember the day that it happened, and this was in April. We were working on a on a, on a deal, and... We got all the paperwork for the deal and we said, okay, this deal, they want 13 million, but we think it's worth nine. Well, that's a, that's, what what is that? That's a 24% hit, 25% hit, right? So that's unheard of. A year and a half ago, the conversation would have stopped right there. But the day I knew that it changed, because the broker said, listen, our seller is taking all offers. Please submit your LOI and we will go discuss it with him. Even though it was... Four million less than, yeah, that, that would not have happened before, right? I did not hear that language from an agent the previous three years. Right. Okay. So several things happened then. Of course, then now, now the, the financing markets, they started becoming uncertain. Um, and so this is, this is what started where we are at this moment. That, but, can I but jump that's in here? It, I wanted to ask yeah, you a couple yeah, of yeah. things based on what you said. You know, one, yeah. 
is a comment. You know, I, I'm, I firmly believe what you said is that you have to make a decision, you know, and, and people, you know, it's not just a decision. Do I invest or not invest? But you, you said, look, everyone's talking about a recession coming and I am not going to be a victim. I'm of this recession. I'm deciding that I'm actually going to set myself up for success through this, you know, downturn. And that's, that's a big mindset shift for a lot of people because I think a lot of people are afraid of what's coming versus getting prepared to take advantage of what may be coming. So I agree. I, yeah, I agree. I see, I see um, major investors just sitting on the sidelines. Uh, now I know some of them are, are getting poised for a really good run in 2023. I know this, and, but you know, I've been, I've been able to eke out three deals. In fact, I've been able to eke out three deals that, that make sense regardless of the, you know, of the, whatever economic situation we're in right now. So even if you're at, even if it's in super, super good times, it's still a mindset. Because if right. you think about it, the people, there was also a mindset when it was super, super good times, there were a group of people that said, oh, I'm not going to do anything right now because it's going to dip. Right. So, I mean, pick, pick your mindset. <laughs> make a, like no, you said, make I, a, I completely make a agree. Decision. I mean, yeah. when I got, I got involved a lot later than you did, you know, 2017, 18. And I met some syndicators that said, hey, I was buying at 30, 40 a door. And yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah. I'm like, well, okay, I'm going to buy an 80 a door. And they were like, I'm out. I'm waiting for it to correct. And that was back 2017, 2018. And sure. then, you know, we bought an 80 a door and sold it, you know, 150 a door, you know, but, sure. um, you know, there's, there's never a, a guarantee that you're going to pick it perfectly. Um, but I think that that's really smart to be prepared. So let's talk about what are those opportunities? What do they look like? What are the situations that may be coming in 2023 that multifamily investors may be able to take advantage of? Um, okay. There was a group of, of owner operators and buyers that obtained uh, bridge loans. This is the first one. They obtained bridge loans. So now those bridge loans have come due and they will continue to come due. And the, the rate doesn't, the current rate doesn't make sense against what their bridge rate was. And maybe they didn't buy a cap or maybe they negotiated a, a poor bridge loan because they were banking on, you know, they were betting on, on, on the, the continued escalation. And so that's one, they're in trouble and they need to be, they need to be handled. You know, they're, they're, their properties need to be taken off their hands. Is it going to suck for them? Probably. I, I'm, you know, probably. I mean, we've all had deals that sucked for us at one point or, or another. So, I mean, if you're in the game long enough and if you're in the game serious enough, if you're in the business that at that level, you're going to have a property, I, I think. Maybe this is my mindset that I get to check, Darren. <laughs> you, you know, there's, there's going to be your, your good ones and, and your not so good ones. So there's the first opportunity. People that have, um, you know, properties that, that they didn't make the best deal for a year ago or two years ago. There's going to be 
always a group of properties that are being sold by old, tired owners. And I don't mean, you know, naturally old. I just mean that they've had the property for a while, 10 years or more, and they're just worn out. One of the properties that I'm buying right now, that the, the guy, he's not, a, he's not an old guy. You know, he's, he's a, I would call him a young man. He's probably in his late 40s, early 50s, but he's had the property for 25 years. Holy and he's hell. just, yeah. And he, and he works there himself every day and he's got 142 residents and he's just done. Right. <laughs> he's just done. So, um, a combination of, of, uh, of some seller finance, some good, some good debt, some, you know, some incentives. Like, again, remember the comment I, would, I made? I would add to ago. that old tired owner, you know, it could be, you know, someone passes away and the wife doesn't want to deal with it, right? Well, or, or vice versa, you know? Okay, so this is the third situation, okay? So, and again, I'm speaking from deals that I experience yeah. and deals that I have currently going. So this gentleman um, inherited the property from a trust earlier in the year because his father died. And so he just doesn't want to operate it. He's like, I've got other things I want to do in my life. This was handed to me. I'm, I'm grateful that my family was able to live off of it for a while. They've got other properties, but I'm, I'm sure. thankful that the property served its purpose. I'm done. So who wants right. it? So, you know, we were contacted on that one, only one of two groups, uh, because I had a track record and I had a relationship with the broker. So we were able to make a deal. So you got, you know, you got the poor, poor debt situation. You have old, tired, what I call the old, tired owners. And then right. you have some kind of distress that a current owner does not want to uh, operate the property anymore. Um, now, all of these, you, all of these are going to still come from your broker relationships, even though this, like the, the, the last property I mentioned was not a listed property. It was in the hands of a broker. And so that was a result of a broker relationship. So sure. e even through this time, you've got to maintain your broker relationships. The conversation, I think, with your broker, your agents is a little bit different. And that is, um, you know, what can we do to help your seller get this off of his books immediately in these times? Right. And, you know, talking about like good times and bad times and being able to find good deals in any, any market, you know, you you characterize three different opportunities that may be, you know, available in 2023. Two of those are always available. They just may be harder to find. Right. You bet. And the broker may, you know, be setting different expectations with those, right. those buyers, but the, the old tired owners and the inherited property situation, those could happen in any market. And, um, versus, here's, here's the, know, di here's the difference, I believe. So I'm going to say a year and a half, two years, I'm going to say a year ago, year and a half ago. Okay. The difference would be a seller would, would approach a broker and say, I'm thinking about uh, selling my property. What do you think it's worth? And the broker would say, let me test the market. And then the broker would go through a process of testing the market. And then there'd be a call for offers and the offers would come in. And then there'd be another call for offers to try to trump those previous call for offers. And then in some cases, even a third call for offers would come in to try to trump the previous two. So now it was, it was the agents and the brokers pushing the market up to sell at the highest, at the highest point for those sellers. Hey, listen, I don't fault them for that. That, right. I, you know, great, good on them. That's a good mindset, I think. 
All right, so now the difference is a seller goes to a broker agent and says, I'm thinking about selling my property. What do you think? The broker says, let me look through my Rolodex. Oh, Paul has performed before. Let me give him a shot. So now it's not out to the general market. It's out to those one or two, three people that the broker has a relationship with where the owner operator has actually performed because now he has a quick sale. He has a sure sale. His seller is happy. He's happy. And we move on. So that's the difference in the dynamics right there. Uh, currently versus a year, year and a half ago, or even later. That, make, yeah. that makes sense. So what markets are you focused on? So I have Texas. Uh, we just sold one Wednesday in Georgia. So I no longer have Georgia. <laughs> okay. Um, again, remember, we're on the seller side too. <laughs> right. So, and, and then the other is Wichita, Kansas. Now, when I, when the Wichita, Kansas deal came to me, I I, if you're in if you're listening to this and you're in Wichita, Kansas, you know what I'm talking about. If you're not in Wichita, Kansas, you're going to know what I'm talking about because I said to myself, "What the hell is in Wichita, Kansas?" I like is that Wizard of Oz and, and tornadoes, and I'm only being halfway facetious. But I didn't understand the Wichita, Kansas market. So any investor that's listening here, you know, you have a group of fundamentals, market fundamentals that you look at, and if those market fundamentals are met, if the benchmarks are met then you have yourself a good market to invest in. Well, Wichita, Kansas met all of those fundamentals, at least the fundamentals that we look at. And so sure. we bought a 70 unit class A over the summer. And now I'm buying a, an 88 unit class B one mile away in downtown Wichita, Kansas. So it's funny because, I, you know, Wichita is, was not on my radar screen and we, we had breakfast together, right. With me, you and your wife and, um, when I left there, you know, maybe it was a day or two later, I was talking to somebody else that I've done business with and I brought up Wichita, Kansas, and he started selling me on it, like on, <laughs> on the market. Like he was like, that's a, that's a great, that's a great little market. And, yeah. um, but it's called, I would a, never, it's called a sub market. It's a, it's number, yeah. I think it's number 92 or 93 MSA. So it's in the top 100, but you know, it has long-term uh, population growth, long-term jobs growth, and diversity of industry growth. So, and its median uh, uh, median income is suitable. Its median price, excuse me, its median um, age, suitable. So, I mean, it, like all of those fundamentals just lined up. And I'm like, On oh, top okay, of that, you probably don't have the competition from buying groups as you do I'm, in some of the... The Texas. Well, I, I probably will now. <laughs> <laughs> the word oh, is out. The, the, the secret out. is out. The secret is the out. The secret is out. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, but there's opportunity. There is opportunity in the Midwest, though. So the Midwest is surfacing um, as, as we start, you know, as we evaluate markets. Um, because Texas, we all love Texas. You know, I've got two in Texas right now. And I just sold out of one earlier this year. So we bought that one at $77,000 a door. We sold it for 135 a door. So, yeah, and we, yeah, we, right. yeah, we owned it 18 months. Okay. So Texas continues to be a hyper market. Millions of people are flooding to, to Texas for all the, the right reasons. And so it's, it's not going away. So yeah, the competition is fierce, but some of these Midwest markets I'm learning as we, as we look to expand, 
yeah, they've got good, st- uh, good fundamentals, good population growth, uh, uh, landlord-friendly, uh, little government interference, these, these kinds right. of things that, that you look for in a market. So I also, I had another syndicator that does business in, in some hyper growth markets and also in the Midwest. And, you know, what um, I was told from that syndicator was that they see a difference in their investor base. Like some investors, they want higher cash flow and don't necessarily need the big pop on the back end for a capital gain. And so they like investing in some of the Midwest markets for that purpose. And then the ones that want the big pop and then roll that into a new deal, into a new deal, they're going to put those investors into kind of the high growth markets. You see that kind of segmentation in your investor base or no? Yeah, a, a bit. I, I mean, we're still at a place where the, your investor base depends on you, the owner operator, the lead. So if you've got a good relationship with your owner, excuse me, with your investor base, they're pretty much going to take your lead. And especially if you've done a couple, you know, they've done a couple of successful deals with you. So it's always a, a, a cool conversation when you go to your investor base and you go, okay, I know we've been in Texas, but we've got this other place that we've really been watching. And as we've watched it, it sure is coming up good. And so there's, because there's confidence built in you already, that conversation is a little bit easier. Now, they're still going to want it proven to them. And, and listen, I have investors that tell me, don't even talk to me about anything but Texas. And even though I've tried to talk to them about it, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but, you have to, but you have to listen. Now, they, they're just, okay, they're just, you know, they want Texas or Florida or the Carolinas. Yeah. Right. Okay. So my first deal was in Charlotte, North Carolina. I understand North Carolina is in South Carolina. Those are cool places to invest. But guess what? So do dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of other investors and owner operators. Okay. So that's why we're trying to think outside the box a little bit. Um, and, uh, and, but, but the conversation is a little bit easier with, with investors that you have a relationship with. Now, on the other hand, investors that you don't have relationships with now you now you really have to know your homework you really have to know your your you know your, your presentation because uh, first of all if you don't believe in the deal you, you can't sell it I, I don't I don't care who you are you know it's just like people feel the energy right yeah and so, absolutely and but yeah. you know from us also from a standpoint of putting money on the line you know I don't know that a lot of passive investors understand you know, you're putting all this hard earnest money up. You're putting, you're, you're fronting the money to, to pay the attorneys and the application fee for the lender and, um, you know, whatever due diligence reports need to be completed. And if the deal doesn't close, that's all, you know, lost money for the, the lead syndicator. Um, you know, the passive, they're putting in their money, but if, if the deal doesn't close, they get that back, you know? So that's it. You know, you really have to believe in the deal to, to go out to the market. You do. And, and losing that money. Uh, um, I don't, let me see. My desk is wood. <laughs> Knock on the wood. You know, I've, I, I've been fortunate there, but that's, that's a very expensive uh, cost of doing business when you front yeah. all that. But I think that's why there is the 
the limited partner, the passive investment, passive investor scenario. I think that's the real advantage to, to being, and I've been an LP because now someone else is doing all the heavy lifting. Someone else is doing all the work. Someone else is doing all the day-to-day operations. Someone else is, you know, really operating the property with the goal in mind of increasing its its uh, value and uh, and appreciation for a resale. And that all comes from experience. I mean, look, my learning curve has been a number of years. So, and while I was in my learning curve, I did passive investing, which helped me with the learning curve. So if someone is, is in, a, in a career that they absolutely love and is taking care of all of their family needs, and then they've got some other money that they want to park in, res, uh, in real estate, then the syndication limited partner passive investment arrangement is an ideal arrangement. My first deal, I needed uh, $1.4 million dollars. Uh, it was in today's terms, it was a small deal to, in, in, in my terms back then, it was like, how in the heck am I going to do this? Yeah. Well, I think the, you have both on the, you know, listening here, you got people that are think, how can I raise a million dollars? And then you have others that can raise, you know, 10 million in a day, you know? So correct. Right. So it's all, it's, it's, it's all relative, I guess. Right. But I, I, you know, I, I didn't, I, I had business experience. I had good credit. I had cash to invest. And the thing that I brought to the deal was my, my really heavy construction background. So I was part of the deal over there because I had the experience to go rehab it, which I did. And that's what caused me to move to North Carolina. But the guys that I was with, they raised $1.4 million in nine days. And I'm like, that is phenomenal. I mean, coming out of the business world that I had come from, I had a, I had a nice Rolodex and, but my Rolodex was not familiar with me doing this kind of work. So I had to go back and, and, and re-oil my Rolodex, which I've done obviously. Um, but here's the key of the, it took 17 investors to come up with that money and 14 of them were from the Silicon Valley and 14 of them had technical tech jobs uh, 14 of them. Yeah. They had tech jobs and those tech jobs provided them a really nice income. And they knew intuitively that real estate was a place that they needed to park their money for all kinds of reasons, for their cash flow, for the bonus depreciation, et cetera, et cetera. So they knew that in, intuitively that real estate was good, but they didn't want to put in the work. They didn't want to put in the time, the effort. They have, they have tech jobs. And right. so it made sense for like a group like that or people like that to park their money in, in a syndication and, you know, depend on someone's experience uh, to, to make the, make the deal happen. So that was a really good learning experience. Yeah. That's huge. How are you connected to those people that from, from prior working Um, relationships? Actually one, one I met at a conference, (laughs) uh, two I met at a conference, two I met at a conference and then they knew somebody who was in the Silicon Valley who had sold a tech company. And so uh, they, they put us together and, and, you know, the, the parts all came together. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I I've mean, done that, business with, with two of them. I've done business. I've done more business with since. No, it's huge because you do you have to know somebody in the business to get invited to participate in these deals. And, you know, I knew a lot of wealthy people, but, you know, until four or five years ago, I wasn't getting the invites. Now my, my inbox is flooded with them, but 
you know, before that, it was like an unknown world. So right. I think that it's it's important to be able to uh, let other people know that there's, you know, access to that. Well, I, I'll tell you this, Darren, I say this, and I've said this to these gentlemen as well, is I was very fortunate that they took me on and they mentored me. So yeah, I was a business partner. And yeah, I brought some value. I brought a lot of value, really. I brought value to the, to the operation. In addition, they mentored me. You know, they taught me the real ins and outs and the nuances of the business. And, and I've acknowledged them for this to, to them personally. And I, I think that has influenced me in the sense that anybody who comes in with in, in my partnerships, um, I take on a mentor role for them as well. That's fantastic. And it, it just, it, it just seems like the right thing to do. And I, I love you're, it. You're I mean, giving I, back, right? I mean, paying it forward. Yeah. yeah that, I, to me, that sounds kind of cliche. I understand what you're saying. It yeah. sounds cliche to me, but it just, it, it feels like the right thing to do. And I, I have a, listen, I, I ran a bunch of companies before I got into this. I ran construction, I ran real estate, I ran a, 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 a sales room. So I, I've had a lot of businesses and I've hired a lot of people. And I always, somewhere way back when I read it, I read something that said, if you, if you train your people to leave, how did it say it? If you train your people to leave, then they'll stay with you. If you train them from the perspective that they're, they're going to stay with you, uh, then they'll, they'll fly the, fly the nest. (laughs) Yeah. And I, that, that's set well with me. And it's like, in other words, teach people, teach people how to do the business, not what to do in the business, teach them how to do the business and, and, you know, they can fly the nest on their own. And I believe, I believe that grows the pie for all of us. So that's just my personal belief. Right. Yeah. The other thing is like, you know, I get, you know, contact, there's people that look, you had a lot of business experience and Mm -hmm. that you felt like you brought to the table, but I, I meet people that feel like, look, I haven't run my own business. I haven't done this. I haven't, I haven't bought a hundred unit property. So how can I do this? And, and I'm like, you know, start selling your team, right? Mm -hmm. If you build, you hire third-party property management company that has 5,000 units in your sub-market. Well, that's, that's a major advantage. So the, the investor is looking at, look, it's not you that's going to be managing the, the, you know, the deal. You will be managing the manager, but you've got extensive experience. And then you're partnering with, just like you did, you partnered with people that had a lot of experience. So you could be junior and then go out and find partners that have done this day in and day out for years Absolutely. and partner Absolutely. with them. And then you're selling your team instead of your experience. And then, and then hopefully one of those partners is like, has your mindset and, and is a mentor and, and can, you, know, you can learn a lot from that person. You know, one of the things that I've learned through life, I guess, in doing business and especially in this business is pick your partners carefully. So hang out with so them So talk about that. So yeah, yeah. How, just hang out with them. How do you them. pick your partners? Well, you know, I have this really elaborate, sophisticated process where I just kind of hang out with them. Because <laughs> <laughs> you get to know a lot about people by just hanging out with them. The, 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 you know, their likes, their dislikes, their, are they a family person? What are their values? The real question comes like, what are they going to do in a time of, of challenges? So how people respond in the time of challenge is where 
is where their real metal is, is where their real characteristics will be revealed. So as you get to know people and as you get to hang out with them and as you get to, you know, fellowship with them, you learn about their values. You learn about, um, you know, you learn about who they are, what their priorities in life are and and where they want to be. And when you find those commonalities, um, then, you know, it usually works out really well. And and here's the thing, you know, you know, intuitively who's, who can be with you and who can't. And so are we, you know, am I, I know. And the times that, I've had challenges was I didn't pay attention to my, uh, my intuition. I was like, my ego got in the way. I was stubborn. Like I need this. Have you ever had a bad partner? Um, yeah, (laughs) I have, I have. Yeah. So intuitively you thought they were going to be good, but they turned out bad and, or not ideal. What, what was it? That's on me. Not be ideal. That's on you. That's on me. That's on me because people will tell you who they are. If you'll just listen. And I did and, and I didn't I didn't listen. You didn't you know, want to listen. I didn't um, I didn't want to listen. Yes, thank you. Now um, I'm thinking of I'm thinking of two situations. So two out of the numerous that I've had, pretty good ratio, I think. Right. Pretty good ratio. And, and so when I've talked to people about having partners and when it's not worked out, people the people that had Troubled partnerships have told me that it wasn't about, you know, their ability to do the the job. It wasn't about their ability to, you know, execute. It was more that they, the two of them, saw the world in a diff- differently, and more from a ethics perspective, and and kind of going along with what you're saying in challenging times like how are you going to treat your investors you know how 100%. are you going to you know manage are you just focused on you and you know your perspective and your financial well-being or are you really you know looking at the fiduciary duty to to manage this for for everybody right and again i will reiterate i think you know <laughs> I think, you know, I, I did, I did. And I just not, did not pay attention. So I take well, a little more time now, you know, I take a little more when time. When you say, yeah, I think, you know, I, what I would say to the listeners is even if you're not, you haven't had the partnership opportunity, you can look at your life and like, know you're going into something that you shouldn't do, you know, a bad situation or, you know, go, you know, you're, whatever, like people say, you staying out, past a certain time that nothing good happens. Right. But if, if you, if you end up doing something that you don't think, or you're hanging out with the wrong with people, you know, or you're going to someplace that you shouldn't go or you, uh, whatever the case may be, you kind of know, have that intuition. You do. And then later, I, I believe you, it. you can, you can look back and say, you know what? I, you know, I knew that I knew yes. I shouldn't have done that. Right. That's kind of what you're talking about. hundred percent. Hundred percent. So it's been it's it's uh, it's been a really good learning lesson. But you know, I I believe that it's part of the evolution, part of my evolution. Absolutely. So look, you're very experienced. Um, and in the beginning, I mentioned that we met because Brent Ritchie kind of put us together. Um, so why did you join? You joined a mastermind that that Brent is also a part of it. What 
with all your experience, why did you join a mastermind? Uh, very specifically for the connections. Like I want to, be, my wife and I, we want to be around people who think bigger, who think more creatively, who see the opportunity in everything instead of the downside in everything. Uh, quality people, good values, uh, values that align with ours. And uh, as it's funny, I stated that, you know, they gave us an opportunity to speak in front of the group. I just said, we want to do business with people that we wouldn't want to have fun with. <laughs> so, you know, if we, if we can't go on a trip with you and have fun with you, then I don't know that we're, you know, we're, we're on the same page. So, but this is a, you know, this is a lifestyle choice for us. My wife and I, in December of 2021, that would be a year ago today, right? We're in 2022. Is this right? Yeah, so we're, um, we're <laughs> two days before Christmas, we're recording yeah. this. Yes. So we consciously sat down and we said, okay, what do we want to do in 2023? And we, and we, we consciously stated to each other, we want to only do business with people that we like, and we want to only do business with people that we feel like we can grow our life with, not just our business, but our life. We want to have long-term, lasting, fun, rich relationships. And so every time we had, we go to a networking event, and by the way, we've been to many networking events this year. That was another commitment we made. Go out, get out, get out, talk to people, engage with people. And believe it or not, I know, I know what you're going to say, but believe it or not, that's not been the easiest thing for me to do. Is that I, right? I, that is. It's just like I, I'm, I'm more comfortable just hanging out by myself. Um, it's so, so funny. It's like you, you can't see it. You know, it's like uh, musicians or speakers and they look like they have all the confidence in the world up on stage. And then they say that they were so scared to go out, you know, like or well, they're it's so like, scared to perform. Yeah. What, what do you say to somebody? This, this, again, this is this is between this is the real estate between my ears. Yeah. Um, you know, what do you say to somebody that helps them understand what you do, but you're not sounding braggadocious. Right. It is, is the conversation between my ears. What do you, well, you know, what just, do you say? That's to, just what like you, social media, right? I mean, social yeah. media is like that. I feel like uh, when I first started getting involved with social media, I was like, okay, I got to post this. Right. Well, it's like, look at me, look at me, look at me. Right. But at the end of the day, if it helps one person, you know, that's, that's what it's all about. That's the thing. That's the thing. And we have, you know, my wife and I, we have very uh, definite things we want to accomplish. We have a large family. We have a large extended family. Our parents are, are, are either past or they're very, very old and they're about to pass. Okay. So um, she and I are the eldest in our families on, on, our, on our side. So we have taken on the role as patriarch and matriarch. And nobody assigned that to us. Maybe even nobody knows that. <laughs> but inter <laughs> internally, that, that's, right. that's the role that we've took. Okay, so having said that, we feel like that puts a lot of responsibility on us. So how can we sure. step into that? I know that before the, you know, we, we got together here, one of the things we might talk about was how to get out of our comfort zone. Well, right. that's, that, that's getting out of our comfort zone because she and I love to travel and we, you know, we love to hang out and we, you know, we get along famously and we could just, we could get in an RV and go and not see anybody. But does that really serve our greater purpose of 
you know, of, of and I'm not talking about hand in, handing down money or handing down property to family members. I'm, we're talking about being an example of how to live is, is right. how we process that. Okay. So if they get money and they get, you know, legacy properties, great. That's a side benefit. But how do they look at us and they go, okay, that's how you live um, a, a life wire to wire. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I also love what you said in terms of, you know, having a goal of working with, you know, the people that you want to work with. And I think that that um, is both on the partnership side and it's also on the LP side. Absolutely. I've asked some syndicators, I've said, you know, have you ever had any deals where you didn't send the, your next deal to a few passives that were in a prior deal? And every syndicator was like, absolutely. Like some, some people, you know, they, they wanted to... Um, they really like working with the group of limited partners that they have, but there's some limited partners that maybe they just didn't gel with, you know? So right. that they, that they're able to choose who they're going to do business with, both on the partnership side and on the LP side. And, and I think that's why you're always continuing to build your network and relationships. Uh, people have situations in their life that don't allow them to reinvest, right? That's fine. Oh, right. And, 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 and there, you know, as, as you grow in the business, you get more deals and larger deals and your, your, your capacity, your needs, um, they extend. So, you know, you've got to, um, you got to continue to build that. But look, one, one thing I want to go back to on the social media thing that you tie it into and in in like meeting with people and so forth, you know, and this is a, this is a vulnerable thing, but, you know, years ago, uh, I, I, many years ago, my, I would process information through how did I look to others? Okay. But a, a series of events happened and I just decided, okay, I'm going to be me. I'm going to, and I think that's really the important thing. Just, you know, just be you and, and, and I'm not going to be for everybody. I, okay. It, once, once you don't give a, a hoot about that, then I think your life frees up and I think you do better work. I think you have better relationships. I think you have more purpose and mission in your life when you just you focus on your own. I, I focus on my own values, my own value set. And then um, if, if we can connect, great. If not, that's okay too. Everybody has their own their own set of values. So yeah, I think uh, that's, that's huge. And, the and philosophical it, you know, part of that. <laughs> no, but, and like, like you said, you could just drive or drive around and not, you know, teach anybody. But right. now that you're going out and you're meeting all those new people, those are all new people that can learn from you. Learn, you know, that you wouldn't have had that connection before. So, so let's drill down there a little bit. Let's say that you're on the passive investment side. All right. And you've parked your money into a deal in a syndication um, with an owner operator that's done a good job for you. Okay. So are you going to hold that to yourself? Likely not. You're going to tell your, right. your friends, you're going to tell your family, you're going to tell the people that you care about, Hey, here's a thing that I've discovered that actually works. And, you know, there's some good people involved and it makes good business sense. And so, you know, that, that's a, that's a continuation of the relationship. And I think that, um, I did it when I was an LP, 
I went to people and I'm like, Hey, I got this, I found this thing over here and right. you know, you can decide, but let me at least tell you about it. And it's huge. And that's all a relationship. That's all relationship based. And, and you know, that, that's how you, you get that when you build trust with people. Yeah. You, you, you perform, you communicate, you build a relationship. I had one syndicator that said that he had one LP that they traced nine other people that have invested since the, because of that one person had a positive experience. I, I have one that I, that, that resulted in 19. 19. 19. I mean, that, I mean, that says a lot. I mean, 19. because that person. 19 you know, made, twice. 19 well, twice. What do, you, what do you mean by 19 Well, they twice? were, they were, the one relationship I have resulted in 19 into one deal. And then that same 19 went into the second deal. Yeah. I mean, that says, that says a lot. Yeah. So, um, it, again, it's kind of cliche about build relationships and foster relationships and get to know people. I, I like to get to know people on a human level. I, okay. You can tell me what's in your bank account. You can tell me where you made your money and you can tell you that you can tell me that you were a dentist or a doctor or a, or a tech guy. That's great. Um, but I want to talk to you about your family and your interests and where you live and where you came from. I talked to a gentleman day before yesterday from Nepal. All right. Well, I'm fascinated with that area of the world. And he wanted to talk, he wanted to talk investment, but I'm like, no, no, hold on a minute here. Hold on. Tell me more about how you came into this country. Tell me more about what, what it's like over there. I, I, I had to catch myself. It's like, I couldn't get off the topic matter. Um, but you know, I'm genuinely interested in that that area sure. of the world. So that, that's, that's how I roll, Darren. <laughs> oh, no, I think that's, I think that's great. I mean, I see that. And so my wife and I are, are traveling around um, in an RV. We purchased an RV last year. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, our experience is, that, look, there's, there's people that have, we've met some people that have some crazy amounts of money, but people are just people and they're just looking to, learn, you know, Hey, where have you traveled to? Where would you suggest? And, and they're not as, you know, focused on like, well, how'd you make your money? It's more, you know, Hey, what, what are some cool places to go to? You know, where have you met good people? You know, mm -hmm. what have been your good experiences and, and people just want to connect, you know, with other people, not because you made good money. Yeah. So my oldest son, this story will, will, uh, you might like this story. My oldest son, when he was in uh, college, on his junior year, he went on a genealogical search to, to find out where we came from. Well, that led into after he graduated, he, uh, he put on a backpack and he traveled to 60 different countries around the world. 60? 60. He went to Europe twice and then he went to South America twice. And Holy cow. How most, long did it take him? Oh, he was, he was gone I, maybe 10 years. <laughs> Come on. He would go, 10 he would years? go, he would go months. He would go months and we wouldn't hear from him. How did he fund him. it? Did you fund it? No, 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 no. I did not. How did he fund I it? I did not. Um, he would do day work. Um, he's an artist. So he would do commission work along, along the way. 
And Holy he, uh, yeah, he's just very, okay, so this, this is the point. So I asked him one time, I said, okay, listen, you traveled all around the world. What's the biggest thing you learned? He said, dad, I learned two things. I'm like, okay, do tell. He says, number one, he says, you don't have to have a lot to live and be happy. I'm like, that's pretty freaking cool right there. Number two, he says, people will do just about anything for you if you're nice to them and you ask nicely. And I'm like, and then of course he tells me stories where he would just walk into a city, he'd sit in the town square on a bench and he'd strike up a conversation. And by the way, this, this man is, 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 is an introvert to like, he's, he's very introverted, very intellectual and very introverted, but he'd walk into a town square. He'd sit on the bench. He'd strike up a conversation. And before he knew it, he had a job. He had a place to stay. He had a ride and he would hang out in that particular town or villa a couple of weeks and then he'd move on to the next one. So I think that speaks a lot to, to us. You know, we try to complicate the human experience. I really believe this. We really try to complicate the human experience, but the human experience is pretty, pretty simple. If you break it down, we just want to be happy and we just want to connect with other people. And we just, you know, we want to, we want to live a life that brings us a measure of contentment. Now here in the West, we, we, we do all kinds of silly, stupid things to try to achieve that. But in other parts of the world, they don't see it that way. Right. Those older civilizations, it seems to me like, the, and I've traveled a lot, you've traveled a lot, he traveled a lot. Those older civilizations, there's, they, they, they've reached a state of contentment with, right. you know, with their existence. So, um, no, that's, that's very did, cool. Did, I, did, did, I mean, it's, it's cool that he was after all the, that travel, he was able to boil it down to those yeah, two things. Yeah. And, and he ta- and, he, he, he crystallized it into a couple of really, really good lessons that, it, that I've never forgotten. I, he told me that probably 15 years ago. Yeah. Okay. It's huge. And, and I just, I never, I, I remember exactly where we were and how he said it. So outside of work, what do you, what do you like to spend your time on? What do you, what, what's, uh, <laughs> what's fun for you outside of work? There's so many things. There's so many things. Uh, um, let's see. So my wife and I travel. Oh. We love live, we love live music. Went to, went and saw Chris Isaac last night. That was awesome. Um, we do a lot of traveling. All so, right, hold on. On the yeah, live yeah. music side. Yeah, yeah. Um, have you ever gone to a, you know, one of these um, award shows? No. Whether it be country music or any kind, no, no. So that is something that I have to figure out how to get involved with because not for me, my wife would love that. So I need to figure out if there's anybody out there listening that has a pl- has a plug <laughs> that, to that get has a tickets to the Academy the, Awards, call something, <laughs> something, call me. All right. So travel, live music. What else? Yes, um, I am a certified yoga instructor. So yoga Holy has cow, been. Really? I am I yoga. Thought that. Yeah, yoga's for big guys too. <laughs> hey, yeah. hey, I. I'm trying it actually because I I read the book um, what's it the Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod okay. and okay. and okay. Um, you know it had a, has a number of different things to do in the morning and one of them is is physical and I started to do yoga and and I think that it also helps with kind of the, that meditation state you know that it does do but 
But, so um, um, 15 years ago, I was running marathons and I was training for my fifth marathon, marathon and I was, I was hurting. Everything hurt. Legs, knees, hips, ankles, everything hurt. And uh, someone invited me to a hot yoga session. And 15 minutes into that hot yoga session, I decided I would never run again. <laughs> now, really? I, yeah, yeah, not to that extent. Now, I can right. go out and bust out five miles and pretty much eat, you know, without. Yeah, uh, not 26. Not 26. Uh, um, I don't, although I don't know. I think that's a mindset. And I think if, uh, I know that uh, a month ago, I went to a, a, a retreat and uh, we did a wilderness ran, run and it was two and a half hours long. And I ran pretty much the entire two and a half hours through the wilderness. I only stopped for a few short moments here and there to catch my breath. So uh, I think that's a mindset. But anyway, I was, you know, so then I, the yoga worked for me and I became committed to learning more about the origins of yoga and, and, you know, everything. And then I found myself, I didn't find myself. I went to an, (laughs) I went to an ashram in 2018. Holy cow. I would never have thought you were this, this much into it. And I spent 30 days at an ashram in the Bahamas. And uh, for 30 days, we meditated for four hours a day. We practiced yoga for four hours a day. We ate vegetarian. You know, the entire thing was, you know, vegetarian, no sugar, no coffee, no alcohol, uh, no sex, no, uh, no processed foods, no meat. Right. So um, for 30 days and uh, uh, it was a group of um, uh, Hindu um, swamis that taught, taught us. And so, you know, I, I went through, cause I, the, the other thing is I have a, I have a, a fascination or with uh, theology. So I, I study theology and I, I have a, a fairly broad knowledge of, uh, many theologies in the world. And so I had not studied Hinduism and this was an opportunity for me to study Hinduism. So I was immersed in that. Well, out of that came a two, a 200 hour yoga teacher certification. <laughs> so, um, you know, every once in a while I'll teach yoga. I don't do it too often, but every once in a while I'll teach it. And I practice three, four times a week. Um, in addition to very, very you know, cool. going to the gym and such. Um, so I, I like to play golf. Um, I hunt. Um, we love to, uh, go camping my wife and I, so we'll actually go, you know, rough it for a little while. Um, you know, we, we, well, we, diverse we, hobbies <laughs> there, my friend, I, you, well, you, I, <laughs> a little bit of everything. I was, uh, uh, you know, you have events in your life that, that, that change you. So, um, I had been married a long time. I'd married for 26 years, 20, yeah, 26 years. And then I got a divorce and that was a, uh, uh, it was a soul crushing event. It just was. And so, um, I think it's, I think it's rough, rougher on men than men want to allow or men want to confess to, you know, it affects our, our dignity and it affects our, you know, we, we cast a lot of blame. A lot of men do. I did. Okay. So then once I cleared through all that and got back on track, um, uh, I spent the next 13 years as a single man and I didn't really, I didn't really think I was going to get remarried. Um, I, I liked the idea, but I didn't, you know, I didn't really know that I was. And then I met Letitia and we met four years ago and she also had been single for 13 years. And yeah. she also had been married for 25 years. I think we yeah, have 25 years and she also had two children. 
and I have two children. And she also had uh, grandchildren, and I have two grandchildren. So, um, and she also liked to travel and all everything. Just like if you could do if you could do the checklist, it was you know it was a uh, perfect checklist. And so you know we got married ten months later, and we 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 just made a conscious decision. Okay, so we talked about values earlier. So I have I have a list of values that I've written down. And by the way. Um, I have it on my wall. I'm a passionate, creative, adventurous, giving man. So that's over here. I have that. So adventure is a is one of my um, uh, one of my values. It's in my value system. So and I don't necessarily meaning cl- mean climbing Mount Everest, but this right here, this interaction that you are ha- you and I are having on this podcast, this I identify as adventurous. We, we didn't know where we were going to go with this when we started. Right. This is an adventure. Real estate investing is an adventure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, going going into going to a, a a camp and doing a wilderness run for two and a half hours that's an adventure. Right. You know, we we were invited. Uh, Letitia, my wife, and I were invited last month to dress up as Santa Claus and Mrs. Claus. That was a freaking adventure. <laughs> I have yet to do that. I don't know that I want to do that, but. Well, yeah, I, I hear you. I hear you. I'm just going to tell you this, Derry. I'm just going to tell you there. That is checked off my list. <laughs> yes. That, that's a, I, one I, and I tick, done. <laughs> I ticked that box, you know. One and done. So, I mean, hey. it's all perception. You know, I, I we want to live a life of adventure and, and diversity. And so, um you know, real estate investing is sure part of that. That's for sure. Absolutely. So, hey, yeah, I mean, you, you've got a ton of experience. Look, I met you and your wife and good people and, um, you know, looking to do good things in the future. If people, you know, that are listening to this want to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to contact you? PaulMontalongo.com. PaulMontalongo.com, M-O-N-T-E-L. O-N-G-O. And by the way, the origin of my name is Northern Italy. Is it really? So my, when my son traveled, he found a Pueblo in Spain with the name Montelongo, and that led him to Northern Italy where there are villas. There's a villa over there with uh, our name on it. So that's, that's what we claim. And, and by the way, if anyone asks me my, the origin of my name, I tell them, if you owe me rent, I'm Italian. <laughs> nice <laughs> nice so, so listeners Paul paulmontalongo.com yeah, Paul if you want to reach out that, to him and i'll include it in the show notes and that'll take and, you uh, to all my social media sites i'm all over social media and and uh, we you know we try to we try to educate uh on social media about real estate investing but then we also try to to show a lifestyle um that we're enjoying life and we, and we just like, you know, we, we're enjoying life. So. That's important. Yeah. Look, it's not just about growing an empire and building wealth. It's also about why you want to do that. So you, you go out and, and have some fun with your family. Right. I mean that you, you don't want to spend all your days just uh, yeah. falling away just to have a bigger bank account. So. I'm going to throw this in there because everywhere yeah. I go, I'm throwing this in there. So Letitia and I we're working on a show. So we're putting together a show and that's all I'm going to say. But other than it is designed specifically for boomers and people our age um, to expand their life and, and, uh, and, and squeeze the most out of this last 
third of your life. Real estate investing is a serious part of that for us as is travel and adventure. But so hopefully your listeners. A and show you can mean a lot of different things. So I'm going to press it, it you can. on that a little bit. Like, <laughs> is it a TV show? Is it a YouTube channel? Is it what, what kind of show are you talking the, about? The, the, the end game here is to have a Netflix special. Awesome. Yeah. So if you're connected, if you're listening and you're out there and you're connected to Netflix and you want a winner. There you go. All <laughs> right. Me. So, so, yeah, so yeah. get Paul on Netflix <laughs> documentary. Find if me some tickets to bring my wife to, to a mu- music yeah, Academy Awards or whatever. Get, yeah. So. Get this man to the Academy Awards. Get him to the Academy Awards. <laughs> Put on your tuxedo and there want we, you to wave at us all. You're going to be, so who do you want to sit next to at the Academy Awards? Oh, I, I don't really care. I just, I just want to make my wife happy. You know, that would be a dream for her to go to, to one of those types of events. So um, that'd be awesome. Well, again, awesome. listeners, I hope you enjoyed that one. Until next week, uh, we're signing off. Thank you. Thanks, Darren. All right. Thank you for listening to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show at darrenbatchelder.com. If you liked the episode, please provide us with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. If you already provided us with a five-star review, then thank you. And please share the show with a friend. 